Yeah. Um, I know you're very fond of Emily Dickinson, and I am too. Um, she is one of the genuine geniuses uh, in the American tradition and also in the Western tradition. Um, there aren't actually all that American, all that many Americans that merit a place in the Western canon, but I think that she does, you know, along with Herman Melville, Moby Dick, and a small number of other novels. Um, she's the greatest American poet, I think. I think she's greater than Walt Whitman, who is relatively overrated. I think uh, Emily Dickinson's economy in the use of words and her uh, strange, quirky images uh, I've always found very attractive. So uh, there aren't very many females whose work uh, places them within the canon. Remember that it's in part um, a question of intellectual back and forth and intellectual influence. Now, Emily Dickinson was, you know, the crazy lady in the attic. She, she wasn't having much back and forth, but posthumously, I think that every 20th century poet, at least in the U.S., is indebted to her, but also burdened by her, you know, anxiety of influence. She's so good that you, I mean, it's like joy, it's like being an Irish novelist. Joyce looms heavily over you. And if you're an American poet, uh, the lovely gem-like brilliance of Emily Dickinson is hard to shrug off. In some ways, the very long, complicated poems of other American or Anglo-American poets in the 20th century is a way of just moving in a different direction because her influence in the uh, short epigrammatic poems that she writes is so profound. So I think that's part of the attraction for somebody like T.S. Eliot, writing very long poems. Uh, Yeats, of course, goes his own his own way, and uh, I don't think that he, because he's Irish, I don't think he has the same burden of debt to Emily Dickinson. Uh, on the other hand, I would say somebody like Wallace Stevens is uh, is always writing with. Uh, a sense of indebtedness to the tradition and uh, particularly the American tradition that's exemplified by or the high point of which is Emily Dickinson um, Wallace Stevens work is some of the most beautiful and nuanced work you're ever going to meet or you're ever going to read giving it a chance uh, one of my favorites is the anecdote of the jar which is about order and chaos. It's one of my favorite poems. And uh, it is enigmatic and requires a lot of thought, but uh, um, the nuance and delicacy of touch of Wallace Stevens um, is a very strange thing to find in someone who was the vice president, if I'm uh, correctly informed, of an insurance company. You wouldn't expect someone with such a prosaic job to be a poet, but somehow he balanced those two things out. Um, that's a very American sort of contradiction in its own way. Um, Yeats, I think, is a master that few can compete with. I mean, if you like 20th century poetry, and I do, um, Yeats 
version of Irish, or, or rather of English, the kind of Irish English, um, is an extremely musical version which lends itself to poetry. Uh, the only thing that I would think is comparable is something like a Jamaican uh, English, and that's why that also lends itself to poetry, things like reggae, all right? Um, I, the Irish version of English is a very lilting, sing-song kind of English. It lends itself to meter, and uh, or, or and uh, there's a sort of music in it that's easily, or not easily, but is accessible by the best kind of poet. Um, the brilliance and beauty of Yeats um, is, I think, not undercut by the fact that he believes various kinds of nutty things about the world. But... Uh, Regardless, um, as long as he continued to produce I mean, some of the most haunting poems of the 20th century, um, I can't take anything away from him. So uh, if you know uh, uh, the second coming, right, turning and turning the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer, things fall apart, the center cannot hold, um, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece, but it's also deeply concerning because what rough beast its hours have come round at last now slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. Good God, what is, what is our age pregnant with? So he's a bit of a seer and a bit of a prophet, and um, to be fair, the greatest poets always are. Um, someone once said that poets are the unelected legislators of the world. And that's true because they create the images in our head. They create the stories we tell ourselves. And we believe them regardless of whether they get enforced because we enforce them ourselves. So in a way, if you want real power over, over a nation, um, write its myths, write its poems and stories, and then let anybody else who wants to write its laws. <laughs> Legislation is in vain compared to the power of poetry. So, um, I'd be inclined to say that uh, if you get the chance, and I hope that you and I perhaps this summer will, honey, um, I would like to teach you William Blake. He's one of the greatest and most powerful of the English language poets, and uh, I, he's a he's a romantic, and he's also a visionary and a seer, and he's also mildly crazy he's uh, he's able to draw as well as write poetry and uh, his songs of innocence and experience are among the most beautiful things ever written in the English language right uh, you know little lamb who made thee dost thou know who made thee gave thee life and bade thee feed by the field and o'er the mead gave thee clothing of delight softest clothing woolly bright isn't that a lovely kind of romantic, woolly bright little cloud mm -hmm. of, a, of a beast cruising along the uh, the meadow? And uh, that's the first generation of romance. Second generation, um, uh, the little lamb turns into Moby Dick and kills him. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that, that shows that uh, uh, we got to find something else to do. Romanticism is over by that point. Um, another, just to come back, another great. 20th century poet that I, you know, can't recommend strongly enough would be uh, Auden. I love W. H. Auden's work. Um, sometimes he really hits 
uh, Marx's genius and uh, one of the greatest and most underestimated of his works is the Christmas Oratorio and his uh, song of Herod remember Herod is the one who kills the murders the innocents um, he splices that together with the plight of the liberal technocrat and uh, the things that you have to do when you submit to that utilitarian calculation and it's one of the most brilliant send-ups of rational good intention uh, also I mean Auden's uh, uh, well, there's so many that, I, that I'm very fond of but uh, um, his uh, very funny uh, poem about Freud I forget the specific lines, but I, I do remember it said, look, uh, much of this is absurd, but like it or not, he's telling us stories that we all believe. And uh, the other one was the, uh, uh, as I walk, walked out one morning, uh, walking down Bristol Street, the, uh, uh, the I, I don't remember the details anymore. Okay. You know, but, uh, that's one of the most powerful and beautiful and moving uh, elegies about time and uh, the power of time. Uh, so Auden, I think, is often underestimated. And, uh, you know, Eliot is, is very highfalutin. And, and of course, uh, Four Quartets is probably the greatest long poem of the 20th century. Uh, and it contains one of the very few Kantian jokes in the history of the world. Remember that Eliot was studying philosophy before he dropped out of Harvard and went and started writing uh, very serious, self-conscious uh, Anglo-American royalist uh, poems. Uh, he said in one of the four quartets, I think it's in uh, uh, Dry Salvages, uh, the roses had the look of flowers that are looked at. The idea, of course, being... Yeah, um, that's going to go over everybody's head, yeah. except people who have a background in philosophy. What he's saying is, look, the roses didn't look red or blue because, well, that's the human empirical view. Instead, the roses had the look of flowers that are looked at. The a priori forms of human cognition are constructing the rose and mediating between you and the rose. So the roses turned out to have the look of flowers that are looked at. <laughs> there are a few people who make Kantian jokes. Well, yeah, I mean, T.S. Eliot <laughs> is one of them. I mean, that, I mean that's a very serious kind yeah. of joke. And Actually, you're the second one. Well, no, that, that's the only Kantian <laughs> joke that I'm familiar with. And I had to point out that it was there. Uh, there are so many interesting uh, reflections on the nature of the soul in Eliot that uh, for all his uh, quirky anglophilia um, he had an undoubted poetic capacity and you know he was extremely talented um, so I would say Yeats for his <laughs> wild rose beauty uh, Eliot for his intellectual beauty um, Wallace Stevens for his nuance and Emily Dickinson for her astonishing collection of small but flawless jewels. 
Um, these are my favorite poets. Oh, and I can't, of course, leave out Auden. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry for ignoring that, but these are the people that I read with great pleasure and profit. Uh, we'll toss in William Blake, and then if you keep me talking, and you know, we, uh, uh, <laughs> and I free associate, I can tell you the various other poets I like from the ancient and the medieval era, but I think this is okay for now. Yeah. You know, these are a few modern poets that I think very highly of. And Lewis Carroll as well. Well, Lewis Carroll, yeah. I mean, you <laughs> he has can a tell time and a place. Yeah, but you can tell the people the truth that when you were growing up, uh, one of the things that you perhaps didn't find out, didn't realize was unusual, uh, was the fact that I had memorized all of Lewis Carroll's uh, nonsense poems. Mm -hmm. And because I knew them by heart, I used to tell them to you girls, and uh, I don't think you know them by heart, but I think you would recognize them by heart. Um, I mean, I would don't recognize The Hunting of the Jabberwock. I do have um, The Hunting of the Snark still memorized. I still have it. Yeah, well, yeah. I remember, I mean, I, had, I, I memorized it one time before my memory became Swiss cheese. Yeah. I memorized them all. And so I would say, "'Twas brilliant in the slithy toves, to gyre and shimble." Wave, or mimsy where the burrow grows and the mole wraths are grave. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jump jump bird, shun the frumious bandersnatch. I can give you the rest, but yeah, you get the. I know. You would make a good voice actor. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing left to me but a voice now, so I'm glad to be able to do something. But, uh, but on the whole, uh, I'm glad that we got a chance to talk a little bit about poetry, and I'd like to do some with you when we get yeah. a chance in summer. I would love to. Yeah. Uh, it's something, it's a kind of an acquired taste, and you have to learn how to read it. I mean, you have to earn your understanding of the only poetry that's worthwhile. Any poem you understand the first time you read it is not worth reading a second time. Okay? 